pray one more time. Lord, speak as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, Lord, and plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us into your likeness. Lord, that the light of Christ may be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Lord, would you speak and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the givens of life is that we all face relationship challenges. Certainly, I think all of us, if we were to have opportunity, we all could tell stories of situations where there has been relationship friction between us and some other person, or perhaps several other people. But I want us to think, particularly today, and maybe in your mind, to think about a situation where you have this relationship friction with another person. There's some difficulty, there's some uh, problem going on that you've had or in the past or is currently going on. And wouldn't you agree, if you're like most of us, that when it comes to those situations that you become a person who's very much aware of the other person and what they have said, the other person and what they have done, or perhaps what they have failed to do, you become very aware and you've sort of kept a mental log of their attitudes that they're showing to you. And we invest a lot of energy, it seems to me. I know I can do this quite often, very easily. A lot of energy, a lot of time trying to convince this other person that they have some serious issues that they need to change in. And so sometimes it's confronting them directly. Sometimes it is giving them hints, not so subtle at times. Other times we are, in a sense, trying to manipulate them, waiting for them to change before we will in any way change ourselves, saying that until you do such and such, I don't have time for you or I'm not going to involve myself in any further discussion of the matter. And we try to convince them to, to stop doing something or to stop saying something or to start apologizing or whatever it is. And in those situations, maybe you've been in that long enough and you begin to sense, you know, this isn't going anywhere. You kept thinking, I hope I would change them by now or I'd wear them down by now or they'd finally back down by now, and they haven't. Matter of fact, things have pro probably gotten worse, depending on how you have perhaps added some fuel to the fire there. So maybe you're feeling somewhat frustrated. You feel rather helpless at times, rather hopeless maybe that there will ever be change in this particular relationship dynamic. And the attention in all of this scenario has been to focus on the other person and what I have called and what other biblical counselors have called their circle of responsibility. So that you have the other person has within their circle of responsibility, they're responsible for God for their words, for their actions, for their attitudes, and for their, uh, yeah, what's the other one? Here's another one. Their words, their actions, their attitudes, and their, their thoughts. They're responsible to God for those things, just like I'm responsible to God for those areas of my life. But when we focus on another person's circle and we keep waiting for them to change, my friend, you are looking at an example of what it feels like to be helpless because you cannot change another person. 
I know many of us have tried. Some of us are still trying. Some of us have had many years to try. But what would happen if we took a different approach? What would happen if we were to say, instead of focusing on this other person's circle, of what they need to change, what would happen if I were to say, God, I want to take for a moment and say, I want you to come into my circle and help me in the areas of my life that I need to be changing in. Help me to stop focusing on this person's circle, which I cannot change. Help me to focus on what needs to go on in my life and how I'm thinking and what I'm saying and what my attitudes are and what my thoughts are. What would happen if we welcomed God into our circle of responsibility? We invited him to bring about change in our own hearts and our own lives. Instead of focusing on the other person's circle, we began to say, Lord, focus on my circle. I'm telling you, that's radical. It's a radical change to the friction of relationships that oftentimes ends up stuck with nobody moving but only getting worse. All of a sudden now we begin to say there's a movement of change that's now going to take place in this relationship. There's something going on in my circle over here. There may be nothing going on over here that's changing, but there's something going on and changing. Guess what? If God changes one circle, it's going to change the dynamic of these two circles, these two people. The relationship will not be the same as it was before. And oftentimes God does begin to bring change in our relational challenges. If we begin to say, Lord... Instead of saying, if that other person will do this, then I'll do this, you start saying, Lord, help me to do what you want me to do, no matter what. You say, well, I don't know if I'm ready to say that. I'm keep waiting on this other person. Well, I don't know if you remember, some of you saw the film called Fireproof, in which the film depicted a fireman uh, who, over a period of time, was doing a number of things that offended his wife, and it was very clear that he was not putting her and her needs as a high priority in his life. And his wife, who was a nurse, uh, became very much distant from him and was sort of withdrew from him. And she, uh, relationally, they were just going farther and farther apart, and they weren't hardly even talking to each other. They're very angry at each other. They're a standoff with each other. And the point of the movie was, at some point, was somebody came alongside this guy over here and said, you know, I challenge you. <clears throat> I give you a dare. <clears throat> Excuse me. What would happen if you were to dare, take the dare to love your wife and do one thing that would love your wife, that would express your love to your wife, no matter how you felt, no matter what she did? Of course, he scoffed at it for a long time, and then eventually, what did he do? Eventually, he did one, which was very difficult for him to do. He did another one. His wife's like, are you kidding me? And, you know, I think he got her flowers one day or something, and, and she just threw them away and like, oh, this idiot, and whatever. So she didn't. But after he kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it day after day, it was amazing how she began to change and how she responded to him, began to see him differently, began to see the fact that he really was what? He had done some changing in his circle and was relating to her differently. Now, I'm using that as an introduction today to try to show you the practical nature of the study that we're in. <clears throat> the study that we're in is a uh, uh, sort of an, uh, a week after week examination of what does it mean to love someone, biblically speaking. And we're looking at the one another commands in the New Testament, challenging us to love each other in ways that are practical demonstrations of the kind of love that God says, this is what fellowship should be like. And may I remind you before we look into our first, uh, another one this morning, 
that the model for the idea of love among two people is really modeled after the love that happens and has happened from eternity between the members of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Spirit. Eternal communion and love and respect and joy and unity that has existed in harmonious glory from all eternity and still is going on. And God has sent His Son Jesus to help us reveal to us a small understanding of that kind of love relationship. And He has also come to help pray for the fact that God would work this in His people so that we might be able to enter into the covenant love of the triune God. A love that now is to spread among His disciples in ways that help the world understand these are the people of God. You can see it in their lives by the way that they love each other. Let's turn in our Bibles uh, this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. And as we do so, we're reminding ourselves that it is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives hope to any and all relationships. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that can bring healing to any and all relationships. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that provides power to bring about inner heart transformation in your circle, if you will, if you're going to use that terminology, in our own hearts, to bring about change so that relationships can therefore be characterized by grace and the power of Jesus Christ. Let's read together in Ephesians 4. We'll begin reading uh, verse 31. Let's back up. We'll read verse 30. Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another. That's the phrase we're going to look at. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and sacrifice of, to God as a fragrant aroma. I'd like to look at this admonition of being kind to one another in Ephesians 4, 32 from two vantage points. The first vantage point is this. I want to think through the implications of what it means that God himself demonstrates kindness toward us in many ways, including the gospel. And then I want to look and contemplate this one another in command and the implications of God's call for us to demonstrate this mutual kindness to each other. First of all, I want to look now at God and think about God and his the fact that he continually, this is point number one, God continually and graciously demonstrates kindness. Now that should not surprise us because we read in the scriptures that one of the elements of true biblical love is kindness. 1 Corinthians 13. How many have had that verse read at their wedding? You know, love is patient, love is kind. So kind has to be and must be an element of true love if you're going to see the full glories 
and the multifaceted aspects of biblical love. And what's amazing about God's love, uh, sorry, God's kindness, the way he manifests his love, and he does it through kindness, is that he shows kindness to the most undeserving people. You look in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about this very difficult lesson of loving people who are very unlovable. Maybe you have some of those people in your life. And so he speaks to his disciples and he's telling them, he says, listen, I'm calling you to a new way of living and the gospel says that when we deal with people around us that are not very loving, you have enemies in your life, he says, I'm calling you to love your enemies. And he says, okay, well that sounds like crazy challenging But what does that mean? He goes on to explain. He says, I want you to do them good. Do good to them. That still sounds sort of vague, so he gives them a sample. He says, okay, lend them things and don't expect it in return. To your enemy? That's what Jesus says. And then he goes on to say this. Jesus said, for God himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. We could say evil people. For God himself is kind and ungrateful to ungrateful and evil people. This is what is remarkable about God in his kindness. He is kind to people who are in an animosity. There's an animosity between them. There's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of people who, uh, who have rebelled against his rule, who hate him, And it says that God is kind to those who trample his laws. He is kind to those who blaspheme his name. People who never offer thanks to him, who who never take time to say, Lord, thank you for the blessings you've afforded me today and the daily mercies you've shown to me. They never say that. Some people deny that God even exists. And yet God is still kind to them every day. In Matthew 5, we read that Jesus said that the sun shines on the just and the unjust so that we would understand that the godly farmer receives the same sunshine as an ungodly pagan farmer who never thanks God for anything. He gets the same sunshine. What what do we learn there? Both are receiving common grace. Both are receiving common kindness every day. I wish I could say that I'm like God in that way. But I am not, and you need to know that. There are times when I may speak a kind word, try to offer help to other people. I've been known to do that occasionally, yes. But I always, it seems like, if I'm really honest with myself, oftentimes when I do so, I do so with the expectation there'll be a little bit of gratitude there. Can you relate to that? All of my kind intentions go right out the door when I encounter someone who exhibits to me ingratitude. And there's a very famous story we tell in our family. It's true. While living in Virginia, we lived in a parsonage uh, similarly. But this one was right next to the church building made of the same brick, so it's obvious they they go together. Uh, and whenever we received a knock on our front door, it was a very busy street in front of us. Whenever we received a knock on the front door, we knew we don't know who these people are. Everyone we knew would come in our back door. And so occasionally when that door would open, we would speak to them and 
we would say, hey, come out, come out back and we'll talk to you. So there was a person was coming to our door asking for financial assistance. And so this woman um, explained her situation. I asked a number of questions. I said, have you had anything to eat today? She said, no. So I, I said to my wife, would you make her something to eat, please, uh, with whatever we have? And so my kind wife goes off and prepares a very nice lunch, some fruit, uh, some uh, chips, I guess, and some uh, sandwich, happened to be a bologna sandwich at the time, brings it back, puts it on a tray. I'm talking to this lady, trying to find ways that we can help her other than just handing her money. That's all she wanted. And so when she received the tray and uh, she's looking at, she takes, I'll never forget, takes the bread, lifts it up. She says, what's that? I said, bologna. She says, I don't do bologna. Right at that point, my heart wants to shut down and say, okay, lady, I don't want to show you any, I don't want to show you any kindness anymore. Why is that? Because when I run into ingratitude, my heart shuts down any element of kindness that may be there. But I want you to hear me say clearly, God is so wonderfully different from that. Remarkably different. Again, from Luke 6, God is kind to ungrateful and evil people. And so many people in today's world presume upon God's kindness. They assume that they deserve to be treated in a certain way, with gentleness and with a sympathetic way. And so they expect God to treat them that way. And oftentimes they become very angry if they ever have anything happens to them that somehow disturbs the comfort of their normal routine of life. And yet God displays a kindness that is designed as we receive his acts of kindness over and over again, many people are just oblivious to it. They don't think about it. They don't notice it. But they've constantly been receiving acts of kindness. That kindness is meant to impact our hearts. That kindness, according to Romans chapter 2, is meant to really address our pride, address our arrogance and our ingratitude. And Romans 2, verse 4, Paul asks a question regarding this idea of God's kindness. He says it this way. Do you think lightly... That is, do you minimize the value of the riches of God's kindnesses and his forbearance and his patience, not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? You see how he connects kindness that we receive from God leads us to repentance. I wonder when was the last time that you contemplated the kindness that God continually is showing to you. Have you breathed oxygen today? How about all your life? How about the food you've consumed today or all through your life? How about the, the blessing of sleep? How about the blessing of living plants and various animals of nature that we see all around us? The sunshine, the rain, the clouds, the breezes, you name it. On down the list we go. Kindness is shown to us from God every day. But my friend, those are really quite small insignificance compared to the wonder and the glory and the amazing kindness that God has shown to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God, rather than retaliating against us, rather than 
withholding his kind gifts to us, waiting till we get our act together, waiting till we truly come to him with a right attitude and actually show gratefulness to him. It's not that God is sitting back with his arms crossed saying, okay, when you get your act together, I might be kind to you. God's not like that. God, in the basis of his love for us, even when we're enemies, even when we're ungrateful, even when we are running away from him and have our fist raised in his face, it is God, we read, who has given his son to live for us, to die for us, to be raised for us, that we might be able to share in his life together and have a deep and profound relationship characterized by love, mercy, and grace and enjoy his kindness forever as his child. Look at Titus chapter 3, if you would. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. We who have offended God, we who have defied him again and again, we who have committed cosmic treason against him, for he made us, he made all things, and yet we seem so unconcerned about him and his point of view. Titus 3, verse 3. For we also once were, what, foolish ourselves. Along with that, we were disobedient. Can you relate to that? Have you always obeyed God? We were deceived. We thought we knew better than God. We were tricked. We were enslaved to various desires, is a better word there. Various pleasures that we're caught up in. We can't seem to break out of them. We're spending our lives in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But notice the next word. In our Sunday school class, we are circling, connecting words. Here's a very important one. But that should have been the end of the story. We have done what we've done. We deserve to be damned into hell. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, that is, His kindness that makes Him desire to save people, the likes of which, like us, are hateful people, unkind, disobedient, caught up in our own little world of pleasures. The kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. There is no greater kindness than that, my friend. (laughs) What an incredible kindness. A kindness that says, What you deserve, I'm not going to give you. I give that to my son. And what my son deserves, I'm going to give to you. How do you explain that kindness? Gives us the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. It is meant to lead us to repentance, to turn away from living for ourselves and turn to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I want to live for you. I give myself to you. I surrender to you. I receive by faith what you did for me on the cross. I'll now... Become your child by faith. I find it fascinating to think through the scenario of the day in which Jesus died. On the one side, he had a criminal, a foul-mouthed, cursing, robber, thief. On the other side, another foul-mouthed, cursing, robber, and thief, a person whose life was characterized by lawlessness. Both of them are on crosses right on either side of Christ. And during the time they are there in their own misery, in their own suffering, they are nonetheless ridiculing Jesus. They are mocking him along with everybody else standing around there. 
until one of those robbers, one of those criminals, sees the glimpse in this dark, dark moment of evil and wickedness and horror, he sees the kindness of God put on display. Because Jesus, according to Luke, says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And this thief notices that the, the kindness of Jesus in his heart, looking at them, what they deserve versus what he's actually saying to them. And he begins to realize, this guy does not deserve to get what we're getting. And the thief on the cross, who had formerly cursed him and mocked him, realizes that he desperately longs to have this person rescuing him. He realizes, I need help. I don't want to die on my own here. I need a Savior. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said, did Jesus says, when you get your act together, maybe I'll think about it. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. What kindness. What kindness. God's kindness is undeserved. I wonder if some of us have become more aware this morning of how much we take for granted the kindness of God. Maybe there needs to be some repentance among us. Repentance that says, Lord, I've got to turn away from this, this being so ungrateful, unaware of how many kindnesses you've shown to me. And let the kindness of Christ change your heart. Melt away your heart of bitterness. Melt away your heart of demands upon God. Melt away your, your heart of frustration toward God and other people. And would you join Peter, as he says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, would you join Peter and say, personally taste the kindness of the Lord. That is, he's saying, don't just think about it, don't just talk about it to somebody else. Actually be filled with a sense of wonder and amazement as you yourself Experience the kindness of God and draws you close to Him with a sense of wonder and amazement and praise. We can't go forward in this text if you don't understand that, if you don't start there. That is the gospel. And the gospel calls us to be overwhelmed and enjoy the kindnesses of God in Christ, but then it says the gospel also then <clears throat> commands us Point number two, God in the gospel commands his children to demonstrate kindness. That is, he wants us to live out the gospel. <clears throat> and so we look, first of all, at who we're called to do this. In chapter 4, verse 30, you notice that Paul had warned his readers not to grieve or to bring about a sense of mourning or deep sadness within the Holy Spirit whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, one way that the Spirit is grieved, clearly according to this text, Ephesians 4, is when believers or children of God are remain embittered, remain with hearts that are filled with ongoing sinful anger, when their hearts are filled with malice toward people who have sinned against them, clearly that causes the Holy Spirit 
to be filled with a sense of mourning and sadness and grief. Because the Spirit of God is trying to encourage His children, the children of God, chapter 5, verse 1, to be an imitator of their Father in heaven. And an imitator of God as their Father in heaven is a person who's not, whose heart is not filled with bitterness, whose not, heart is not filled with malice, whose heart is not filled with sinful anger, which is mostly pride-oriented. And since Jesus loved us and gave himself for us by the taking of our sin, dying on the cross for our transgressions, paying the debt that we owe to God for our iniquities, it is incumbent upon the children of God to then have his love so work in our hearts that we're willing to forgive those who sin against us. And we're called then to make forgiving love the pattern of our life. So if you're a child of God, you therefore have the privilege of imitating your spiritual father, and therefore you're called to be like him, tender-hearted and kind to others. And our kind deeds are not then to be limited to those who are just kind to you. <laughs> we're to imitate Jesus Christ, whose love led him to exhibit unmatched kindness to those who were his enemies and those whose sins nailed him to that cross. It is my belief that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that will dissolve a hard-hearted person who is embittered and angry and who will not let go of that anger it is only the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that will transform that hardened heart into a tender, compassionate heart of kindness. And I look as one example in this text is the human under the inspiration of the Spirit who wrote this passage, the Apostle Paul. Think about it. The Apostle Paul at one time was filled with hatred. I mean, he was livid against any person who claimed to be somehow a Jew and a follower of this Jesus, the way, and he therefore saw nothing wrong with inflicting any kind of great physical harm against any person who said they were a follower of this Jesus from Nazareth. But what happened? The grace of Jesus Christ, the kindness of God our Savior, melted away Saul's angry, bitter heart. And Paul became Saul, he changed his name, and he became a servant of the church of Jesus Christ, he became a servant of Christ himself. And because of the power of the gospel, of God's kindness, Paul offered himself in selfless service to various believers, believers that were not always easy to work with. A number of times they are turning their back on him, they are saying things about him that are not true, they are joining up with others who are aligned against him. And yet Paul nonetheless, wrote them, prayed for them, kept speaking the truth to them in love, corrected them, offered edifying words to them. So it wasn't a matter of Paul's brilliance that was the impact here. It was the fact that in his kindness toward them, he was trying to demonstrate the gospel that had changed his own heart. I came across this quote in your notes there. The ministry of kindness which may be achieved by all kinds of people whether they be rich or poor, learned or illiterate. It doesn't matter who we are, we all can be involved in the act of kindness. Brilliance of mind and capacity for deep thinking have rendered great service to humanity, but by themselves they are impotent 
impotent to dry a tear or mend a broken heart. Just because you're brilliant, just because you know a lot of answers, doesn't mean necessarily that you're a person who's able to really minister to somebody else in a way that helps them see your kindness and the kindness of God. And so again, and go back to the verse 1 of chapter 5, which you cannot separate from the end of chapter 4. Those things have to be uh, put together. So don't let the chapter divisions mislead you there. But the reason we are to be kind is because we're adopted children of God, who himself is kind, who himself reacts to people with a heart that is not embittered and hardened. We're called to imitate him. I won't take the time, but I would encourage you to look up Colossians 3, 12, and 13 and just read that again at some point and reinforce that principle to you. Now I want to spend my last few moments talking about, you say, well, that all sounds good. I agree with it in my mind, but when the moment comes and this person has said this or this person brought up the past again or this person has didn't do what I told him to do and he's still not doing it and you find yourself 16 miles in the wrong direction from kindness, let me, let's speak to that issue and say, how do I begin to make a change in my life? How do we change toward kindness? How do we get past our slow-burning anger or our volatile, explosive anger when I spew forth all these words that seem to come out of my mouth before I even think about what I'm saying? Clearly, we are unable, obviously, in our own strength to manufacture the ability to do Christ-like responses. So the first thing I would say is you've got to pray about it. Admit you have a problem. Admit that you have a circle of areas of your life. One is your response, your mouth maybe, what you're saying, or your attitude, or the way you behave. Lord, would you come into my circle? Would you come into my life? Would you affect my heart with the gospel again? I need it so that I will not react the same way I have always in the past. So I would encourage you to pray and humble yourself, admitting your need for help. The second thing I would urge you to do is read the scriptures and claim the scriptures and be armed with the scriptures as you move forward in these situations. Read Ephesians 4 again and again and again until the Lord begins to help you see that you have a problem that you need to own up to if you're unwilling to forgive a brother and sister who is repentant in Christ. Meditate on the gospel forgiveness that's been extended to you by Christ. And by meditating on that gospel, hopefully praying that you, God will take it and he'll soften your heart. Make it more pliable. Let go of your rights to get even. Let go of your right to strive to extract justice from the offending party. I'm going to get you back for what you've done to me. And then the scriptures also encourage us to put off and put on. Sorry, that, that was a bad, bad hand illustration. Put off and then put on. So that we stop doing things that are wrong, but we replace it with things that are appropriate. So for example... Instead of using our, our uh, opportunities to do things for the purpose of annoying this person and doing the things we know are going to just tick them off because they have ticked us off, Proverbs 25 says what? If your enemy has a practical need in his life, that is, he's hungry or thirsty, what does he say? Give him food. Give him something to drink. Do something that expresses kindness rather than just thinking about it. Now, you can translate that down into your everyday life, but that might mean pick up 
dirty clothes on the floor. That might mean uh, uh, clean up the, 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 uh, the, the water from shaving all over the sink, which I always end up having to be reminded to do when you've got this water everywhere all over the sink, but not in the sink, but it's everywhere else on the counter. Or, or whatever it is that, you're, that you could do as an act of kindness, you do that practical area of kindness. You don't have to talk a lot about it. Just do it. And let the act of kindness do a lot of talking. <laughs> and it will. It will. Then another one is to say, instead of offering words that are attacking words, words that dredge up the past and say, yeah, but you remember when you did this, this, and this. And you become, along with being hysterical, historical, and bring up all the past when someone else did something wrong. Instead of those, use your words for what? Express a word of kindness. Write a little note. Leave it somewhere in the lunchbox, on the table, on the counter, on the bathroom sink, on the counter. You'd be amazed what little act of kindness will do to bring the temperature of conflict down, down, down. Don't just do it once. Do it several times. Make it a pattern of life. Look for opportunities to show benevolence to other people. I don't know how many of you know, but earlier this week, a true hero of the faith was called home to glory, Elizabeth Elliot. At the age of 88, she's been suffering for a number of years with dementia, but she's written numerous books. <clears throat> she has been a person who has shared many spiritual insights with many people for a long time, but her life was, was, uh, had a terrible blow when she was a young, recently married mother of a two-year-old child, she and her husband are down in Ecuador trying to reach some tribesmen off in a very remote area of the Ecuadorian jungles. And it is her husband, Jim, a very godly, wonderful, mature, believing man, along with four other missionary men, were killed by Alca tribesmen in those jungles of Ecuador. These five men had spent a number of weeks making contact with this uh, very remote tribe members. They had been giving them gifts. They had been attempting to build trust with them. They had been showing we're coming with kindness here. We're coming not to take something from you, which is what all the other uh, Westerners had been doing to them. And they were trying to build trust, knowing that the members of this tribe have a reputation of being brutal headhunters which is a true phenomenon in Ecuador years ago. And when these five men who were a state who were, had put a little camp area there on, a, on beside the river landed this plane and they set up their camp there, they're trying to make contact. When they were there waiting for contact, they had the means to defend themselves with firearms. But they did not use them because they knew that if they died, they were going to heaven. The people who were about to kill them did not have that assurance. They literally laid their lives down for these people who were without Christ. They did not defend themselves at all. Now, if you were the surviving spouse of one of these five men, all five were buried, several had children, how would you react to this murderous tribal people who killed your loved one 
in the process of which they were trying to bring the gospel to these people with no other agenda than that. Well, the widowed Elizabeth Elliot spent time learning the language of this tribe with a couple of women who had escaped the tribe. And they were in some other location and they were sitting there spending time doing that. And then Elizabeth joined with the sister of the pilot of the plane, <clears throat> Nate Saint, and, she, and her name was Rachel. The two, the, the, those, three, those two women went there and Elizabeth Elliot took her two-year-old daughter and lived among the members of that tribe that killed her husband and this other woman's brother. Day after day, learning the language. Day after day, learning their customs. Day after day, involving themselves in trying to cross this bridge into these people who they could not understand why they were so filled with hatred and why they would have killed the others. Again, I say to myself, what is operating in the heart of someone who does that? Clearly, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Clearly, it's a person who said, Lord, come into my circle. Stop helping me focus on their circle. Help me focus on my circle. Come in and make your changes in my heart. Make me a person who's kind as you are. Gospel kindness. Rather than writing off these people in this tribe and giving up on their salvation and just saying, I hope the government comes in and just wipes them out. These women laid down their lives and literally lived among them and by the grace of God began to share the gospel with them. And over a period of time, years down the road we learned the details, that the man who literally threw the spear that killed so many of these missionaries, he became a believer and he began to be, become the grandfather figure of the martyred pilot, Nate Saint, his son, Steve Saint, eventually became the best friend of this older gentleman, Minkai, his name was, who threw the spears and killed those men. And he looked at that man as if he were his spiritual grandfather. Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel can do that. Because of the kindness at work in the hearts of Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint. What's amazing about the expressing and demonstrating of kindness is that it's shown to people who are undeserving of it. Here's a quote that's in your notes as well. Frederick Faber said this, Kindness has converted more sinners than zeal, eloquence, or learning. More than zeal, eloquence, or learning. I wonder, what would God do in your marriage if you were to become a person who said, Lord, in my circle, I want to see a greater response of kindness reflected in my life toward this person I'm having a very difficult time relating to? What would happen if you as a child in your family said, Lord, would you fill my heart with kindness so that I would do it, a deed of kindness, wash the car, or do an extra thing for mom and dad, even though mom and dad seem so unreasonable to me at times and forget to do what they said they were going to do? I wonder if we said less to defend ourselves and more words trying to understand the person we're having such a difficult time with, isn't that one of the most kind things you can do is listen to somebody and understand them and their concern and speak to their concerns rather than defending yourself and constantly trying to have them understand what you're trying to say? May the Lord help us. May the Lord help us to, by His grace, 
and through the power of the gospel, be the kind people like he is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you that you are a God who truly is kind to ungrateful and evil people like us. Lord, we want to ask forgiveness today for overlooking so many ways in which you have shown us kindness. And we want to acknowledge, Lord, that so many times in our lack of kindness to other people, we have misrepresented you. And some of us, Lord, who have had hearts that become embittered, and we have become a people who are resentful and highly critical, unwilling to forgive others who have sinned against us, Lord, we pray that you would melt away that kind of hardness of our hearts through your gospel and through the wonders of what Christ and his kindness has done for us on the cross and in his resurrection. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who's never fully responded by repenting for their lack of gratitude to your kindness, who have lived their lives doing their own thing, who have disobeyed you again and again, Lord, today may they come to you saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And I turn away from that way of living, and I want to follow and serve and honor Jesus Christ as my Lord. I pray, Lord, they would do that even this day. Work in our hearts, I pray, Lord, by your Spirit. May those of us who are the children of God, may we be characterized by our wonderful, kind Father who's in heaven. We pray it in your glorious and wonderful name. Amen.